Father, that's why we're here this morning as well. We want our lives to bring glory and honor to you. And we realize that you are the God who's worthy of our praise. And so we come and we sing praises to you and we offer up prayers to you. And then we come to your word because we want to hear you speak. We want to live in ways that walk in step with the way you've created us and the ways that would bring you glory and honor. And so we pray that you would do that this morning and that as we come to your word, especially now, Lord, we want to hear you speak. We want your wisdom and your guidance for our lives. We want your word to change us so that we would live lives that bring glory and honor to you. So, Father, as we come to your word, remove anything that would distract us or hinder us from hearing you clearly, any fears or frustrations or anything that's on our hearts that would distract us, Lord, wipe that away so that we could hear you speak clearly. We pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. So we're starting a new series. I'm going to explain that after we read scripture, but we're going to be looking, uh, spending the next few weeks looking at Genesis 1 and 2, or at least portions of of it. So we're going to read um, from Genesis 1, 26 through 31, and then Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant in the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, and to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. And then into chapter 2, it says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it, And to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. There are lots of different people in the world. Um, We all know people who are always looking to pick a fight. But we also know other people who are always trying to avoid any form of conflict. And uh, reality is neither approach is helpful or neither approach is biblical. And as I was thinking uh, this week, if I was going to paraphrase Ecclesiastes 3, um, we would say there is a time to fight and there's a time to retreat. There's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. And there's a time to discuss certain topics, and there's a time to avoid discussing certain topics. And and I'm beginning this because, you know, we're about to enter into kind of a longer series on human sexuality. 
And um, some have asked, why this series and why right now? And uh, the best way I can answer that question is just to talk about a few conversations I've had over the last, um, last not just couple of years, probably three, four, five years even. Um, because, you know, the topic of human sexuality is really everywhere right now, right? We just, we just came out of um, Pride Month. And so every story you walked into was forcing the conversation of sexuality on you, right? And, and when you turn on your TV, I don't even have regular TV. I just watch YouTube and Hulu. But every ad that I watch is forcing the issue of homose- or, or, not homo- just human sexuality, making me think about it, trying to make me wonder, what's going on with this? How should I think about this? And so it's on everyone's minds, and so people start talking about it, which is good. Um, And so I've had a lot of conversations with people as they're trying to wrestle with, okay, how should I think about this and what should I believe about this? And and a few of those conversations over the last number of years have been with um, solid, biblical, mature leaders in the church. And I've talked with them about it. And as we've gone through the conversation, I've heard a number of them say something like, you know, I've got a general idea what's good and bad, what's, what's right and wrong. I kind of know what the Bible has to say about this stuff, but I really have no idea how to talk to anybody about this. Um, and I have no idea really how to kind of refute or, or provide an answer for those who are saying something different from what I believe. I have these kind of general ideas, but I just don't know how to act, interact, and engage on this topic. And so after I had a number of conversations like that, um, in, in various churches with people, I thought, we need to talk about this more. We need to have a, a deeper conversation about it. Because if the leaders in our churches don't know how to have this conversation, how about the rest of us? And so we need to talk. And so I, I say all of that to just point out, I'm not entering into this because I want to pick a fight or cause any problems. <laughs> You know, you can enter into a topic like this and you can step on toe after toe after toe and tick everyone off. Um, That's not my goal. Uh, My goal is to be a shepherd that God has called me to be. And when I see sheep struggling and maybe being led astray or not sure where to go or how to turn, I feel the the God pushing me saying, step in and help. Help lead and help guide. And so so we're going to do that. We're going to start off today and we're going to talk about this for a while but we're going to do it a little bit differently we're going to split it up into three parts and so if you noticed the title I had created um, the first section is going to be talking about created sexuality how God has created us in our sexuality and we're going to talk about later how that's been broken but also we're going to end with how that's been redeemed and I'm doing that intentionally because it's easy Um, for people to get up and just talk about how messed up everything is, right? Everything's messed up. There's all this bad stuff. Um, But I want to start off, first off, saying, here's the beautiful way that God has designed and created this. Because our sexuality is something that God has created. And if God created it, it's just as beautiful as the mountains or the trees or the sunshine or whatever. God created it, and so it's beautiful. And so I want to kind of paint this picture of how God has created our sexuality because we realize right that God's ways are the best ways and if we're going to experience the goodness and the fulfillment of things that God has created it we want to live that out the way he has created us and so we're going to spend time in Genesis 1 and 2 and here's the first thing that we hear about humans in the Bible 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And as you read through Genesis 1 and you read through the creation story, that stands out. It kind of like leaps off the page. It's designed to do that. Because you're reading through and you hear, let, let, it, let there be light. There was light. And God said it was good, right? And God just commands, 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 commands. It pops into being and he says, that's good. Then all of a sudden, it kind of everything slows down. And it says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And nothing in creation is said, nothing else in creation besides humans are said to be made in the image and likeness of God. Nothing. Just us, humans. And, and that tells us that, and we're the last thing to be made. Everything was kind of building up, building up, building up to humans being made, and then we're made in the image and likeness of God. And, and it points to this fact that we're the kind of the, the pinnacle of creation. We're the, actually the crown of creation. That's what Psalm 8 said at the beginning. Who is man that you're mindful of him? Who is man that you would crown us with glory in the earth? And we see that after every other day, it said, and God saw that it was good. But after he creates humans, he said God saw everything that he had made with humans as the crown. And it was very good. Everything else was good, good, good. But when he saw everything put together with the crown of humanity on top of it, God says, that's very, very good. And there's a lot of talk about what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. Um, and, and I'm just going to say at the beginning, it says image and likeness, and really the Bible uses them both interchangeably. And so you'll just hear me say image of God. So what is the image of God? And I thought probably the best way to explain it, I should have just done it, but I would have embarrassed her. But let's say I put a picture of Shar up on the screen. Put an image of Shar up on the screen. Um, that would just be a representation of Shar, right? We know it's not Shar, but it represents her. It looks like her. There's characteristics like her, but it's not her, right? And it's pointing to her, though, right? If, if you... Everybody, and everybody, it was great, because I said, let's say I put a picture of Shar up here, and what did everybody do? They looked back at Shar, the person. Why? Because a picture is not the end goal, right? The picture is to point us to the reality. So you look at pictures of your grandkids, and that doesn't satisfy you. You want your grandkids with you, because they point to the reality. Or you see those beautiful pictures of the mountains in Liberia, and I think, I want to go see the reality of those pictures, and so the fact that we are created in the image of God, that we are the image of God, means, for one, we are not God. We're just the image. We may be the pinnacle of creation, but we're not as big of a deal as we maybe think. We're still not God. We are created. He is the creator. We are not God. But because we're in the image of God, there are some similarities, actually. There's, we share some characteristics with God. God is loving. We can be loving. God is merciful. We can be merciful. God thinks, and we can think. God rules, and we'll get to that eventually. We can show. We can rule. And so we, there's similarities between us and God, but there's still a pretty large gulf there. But ultimately, that we're made in the image of God is we're supposed to point to the reality. That, that our lives are not just about us, but we're in the image of God. That's 
directly to the one who created us. Just like when I said Shar's picture's up here and everyone looked at her, people are supposed to look at us and see immediately, see through us and see God. So we're representatives on earth. And, and the fact that we're made in the image of God, that we're like God, that we're kind of the pinnacle of creation, all of that shows us why every human life has dignity, has value, has worth. Because every single human being is created in the image of God. From the point of conception, not even at, it doesn't end at the point of death, but it goes on for eternity, actually. Which is why, if you think about it, which is why murder and abuse are such terrible things. It's like desecrating God's image. It's like graffiti all over the image of God. Or not breaking God's image. That's why they're so terrible. Because it's, it's pounding at the image of God in this world. And it's also why, it's kind of a side note, but it's also why like, killing an animal is different than killing a person. Right? Because an animal is not created in the image of God. But humans are created in the image of God. And so that's why it's, it's different. Um, but kind of the interesting thing is, though, when we think of an image, we almost we think of like, like maybe a porcelain doll set up on a shelf, right? Like, oh, there's this image of someone. But God didn't create us in his image and just set us on a shelf so that we could stare at each other. He actually gave us work to do because God is always at work. Remember Jesus said that? I'm always at work because my father's always at work. And so we're created in God's image. So guess what we're going to be doing? We're going to work. We were created to work. And so he says, I'm going to create human beings in my image, and they're going to have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heaven, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's why we're here, to have dominion over the earth, all of it, to, to, over all the plants, over all the animals, over everything that was created. And when we get to chapter 2, he, it, we're kind of, it develops a little bit. You know, Ch Genesis 1 is like this big wide-angle camera view, and then you get to Genesis 2, and it kind of zooms in on one part of creation. And it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to do what? To work it and to keep it. And to work it, I mean, the word work, there's some nuance to that, and we could dive in, but it's fairly self-explanatory. He's supposed to work till it, work, but to keep, we don't usually use that word anymore in that sense, but it means to guard, to protect, to watch over. And so when we do the blessing at the end and say, the Lord bless you and keep you, it means the Lord watch over you, protect you, guard you. And so that's what we're called to do of the earth. And that helps explain what dominion is, right? Sometimes people get nervous. They say, we're supposed to have dominion over the earth. We're like, what? What do you mean? You just do whatever you want with it? No. You work it. You keep it. You protect it. You act like a farmer. You're a builder. You're using the resources for loving God and loving our neighbors. But to even take it deeper, one of the really interesting things is those words, work and keep, are actually the words that describe the priest's work in a temple. And so the, the priests in the temple, they worked and kept the temple. And that's intentional it's to remind us that we, as we do our work in the world, we are acting like priests in the world. We're, our work is worship. You've heard me say that a bunch of times. But that comes from this. So 
as we work and keep the ground, as we work and keep in our jobs, we are worshiping God. We're imaging God, right? We're pointing people to God through what we're doing. Um, And so taking dominion means a, a lot of different things. And we have dominion over plants and animals and minerals. And, and so as we do that, it actually, like, domesticating animals is part of the, the task, right? Because we're, we're ruling over animals. We're not beating them and abusing them, but we're, hard, we're shepherding them like a shepherd, like a farmer. And we're get, re, getting resources there. We're going out into the world. We're, we're using wood and plants and harvesting corn and building houses and pulling iron out of the earth and and even pulling oil out of the earth. It's all part of taking dominion. But we're supposed to work and keep. We don't abuse. We're not like thugs and we just do whatever we want. But we're still, that's part of taking dominion. And we do all of that to love God and love our neighbor. But then it kind of gets interesting because the very next thing that he says is, he says, okay, we're going to create man and we're going to create him in our image and we're going to give him dominion, and then it says, now he does it. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And what's really interesting is that this shows that the fact that God created man in his image, and then it says he created humans, male and female, shows that that being male and female is actually necessary for us bearing the image of God. If God would have only created just a world full of men, the image of God would be lacking. And if God would have created the whole world full of women, even Amazon women, it would still be lacking. Um, God created males and females so that his image would be more fully expressed. It would be a clearer picture of him on the earth. And it, it makes sense. Right? If we understand that we serve a triune God, right? we maybe don't understand all the nuances of the Trinity, but we serve a God who's three persons in one being, and he's, he's kind of the essence, the epitome of unity and diversity. If he's going to put his image on earth, there needs to be some unity and diversity in his image. And so you don't get that if it's all males. You don't get that if it's all females. But if you have male and female, you have this diversity. And later we're going to talk about marriage where you see that come into unity. And let's just be, we know males and females are different, right? I mean, just, I've I've got a house full of females. They're different. And, and, if you're married and you've ever tried to do a house project together as a couple, you realize very quickly that you are different. You think differently. You want to do things differently. You put things in different places. And one's not necessarily always right or wrong, but just just different. Like, at our core, right? At our core, men and women are different. We think different. We act different. We feel different. We respond differently. And, of course, our bodies are different as well. But one of the really important things about this is that that difference between males and females was created by God. And it was at the beginning of creation. It wasn't, it's not the result of sin or the fall that men and women are different. Actually, God created it that way, that at our very core of our being, we would be different. 
And it means we need to honor the, those differences. It's, it's really important for us to be able to say that it's very good that I have a bunch of girls in my house and they act like girls. That's good. It would not be good if I tried to make them boys. Right? And it's very good that men and women are different and have different gifts and different talents and, and different ways of doing things. That is not just good, but God said it was very good. And so I don't hear many people say this, but I'm just going to say it. It's important for men, be proud that you're a man. God created you that way. And women, be proud that you're a woman. God created you that way. And then the opposite of that is true. Men, you don't get to look down on women for being women. And women, you don't get to look down on men for being men because you're looking down on something that God created. And that's not good. Our, the, the opposite of that is as we live in community with one another as men and as women, as boys and as girls, our job should be not to look down on one another, but to actually help each other become men and women of God. And so... Men and women should be helping the men become better men, men of God. And men and women should be helping the women in the community become better women, women of God. Um, and there's another reason. So, that, I mean, there's this, the image of God has to be male and female because of our just this unity and diversity thing. But there's also just a real practical aspect of it because one of the commands is, be fruitful, multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Um, and notice how this is worded. There's, there's really just two commands there, right? The, the Hebrews like to repeat things, right? So be fruitful and multiply, same command, right? Subdue and have dominion, same command. So there's two commands. Um, and what it's telling us is that actually being fruitful and multiplying is the way that we subdue and have dominion. Because remember what he said at the beginning. We're going to create humans and we're going to have, give them dominion. That's the epitome. And how, you're, how are you going to do that? You're going to be fruitful and you're going to multiply. Which had to have been good news for Adam and Eve. I mean, think about it. If you were the only two people on the entire earth and God says, all right, your job, subdue and have rule over all of it. Talk about an overwhelming task. And then he says, well, you're going to have some kids who are going to have some kids who are going to have some kids, and they're going to grow up, and they're going to create societies and cultures and, and all of these processes, and those kids and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to help rule and subdue the earth. You need it. You can't do it with only two people. You have to have more people. You have to have cultures, and you can't have cultures without grandchildren and children. And so, male and female bear the image of God in their differences and their unity, but they also do it through the physical way that God has created us differently, to be able to have children together. And that's how we subdue. That's how we have dominion. And it's interesting, before God gives us any of these commands, it says, God blessed it. God created the male and female, and then God blessed them, and then told them these commands to fulfill. And it just reminds us that all of this, that all these things that we do fall under God's blessing and they fall under God's um, declaration of this is very good. And so when we go out and we're fruitful and we multiply, that falls under God's blessing and that God says that's very good. When we go out and we have dominion and we work and we keep the world and we rule over the earth, God says I'm blessing that. 
And that's very good. And as we go out and we get married and we have children, God says, I bless that. That's very good. And as we go out and we live as men or live as women in the world, God says, I'm going to bless that. That's very good. It reminds us that children are a blessing of God. Maleness and females are a gift of God. And also, I just like to remind people of this, work is a gift of God. It's not something that came after the fall. The fall made it hard. Now there's thorns and thistles. You're going to do it by the sweat of your brow. But work was there from creation. We were created to work and to keep. And it's a gift. But we also need to remember we do all this as the image of God. Which means we do it as ways to point people to God. And we do it the way God told us to do it. Um, We don't have the opportunity to kind of just do this however we want to do that. So we don't get to go out as the image of God and just say, oh, I'm going to be fruitful and multiply however I want to. God says, no, you're in my image. You do that the way I've told you to do it. You represent me as you do that. We don't get to go out and rule and have dominion however we want to. No, we do that as God's image. We do that the way God has told us to rule and have dominion. And the same thing is true about living as men and living as women in the world. We don't get to say, I'm going to be a man and I'm going to be a man however I want to be a man. God says, no, you're created in my image. You will be a man the way I told you to be a man. And women don't get to say, I'm going to be a woman however I want to be a woman. And God says, no, I created you in my image. You will be a woman the way I told you to be a woman. And so embrace that. Live that out and seek to to grow in that, which is hard to do, right? I mean, it's not like, well, okay, I'll just walk out of here and be the perfect woman that God called me to be or be the perfect man that God called me to be. No. Um, It's hard. It's, It's not only hard just because there's not always good examples around us in culture, but it's hard because sin has crept in and sin has messed everything up and the image is all beaten up and crinkled up and needs to be restored, but there's one place we can look. Um, It's Jesus. I know it maybe seems trite, but it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's not the beat-up image. He's not the distorted image. He is the image of God, perfectly living out the human life on this earth. And so we we can look to him. And we can say, all right, Christ lived the perfect human life. This is what it means to truly be human. This is the way God created us to live, which helps us not to lose hope in this process, right? Because um, we know that we're going to mess up. I'm not going to fully live out to be the man that God has called me to be. And, and women aren't always going to live out the way that God has called them to be. But we're reminded when we look to Christ, first we're reminded that there's forgiveness. Right? The reason that he came, the reason that he bore the perfect image of God is so that we could be forgiven. So our sins could be cleansed from us. But, but there's more to the gospel than that. Right? We usually think the gospel is my sins are forgiven and, and I'm cleansed of it. But if it just ended there, there's not that much hope. But the gospel goes on and says, not only are you forgiven, not only are you cleansed, but I'm going to stick the Holy Spirit in you and I'm going to start a restoration project. That image in you is beat up and messed up, and the Holy Spirit's going to start working and transforming your life, and we're told that that we're going to put on a new self 
which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. That this process of salvation is working in us to restore us to perfectly live out the image of God. We won't perfectly image God in this life, but in the next life we will. It says we will become like him, perfectly imaging God for all of eternity. And that comes through our salvation. It comes through Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder to us that once we've been saved, once we look to Christ, we're not only forgiven, but now we can truly begin to live out the way we've been created to live. We can actually truly live out our maleness or our femaleness once we've been saved through Christ. We can, we can truly begin to be fruitful and multiply the way God has designed us to through Christ. And we can begin to subdue and have dominion over the earth the way we've been designed to only after we rest in Christ, receive his forgiveness, and then are restored through the Holy Spirit. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the hope that you give us, the way that you not only have brought salvation to us, forgiveness to us, but that you're doing this restoration project in us, renewing us, restoring us into the image that you've created us to be. And Father, we come to you and we confess that we often don't bear your image well. As men, we don't always live as the men you've created us to be. As women, we don't always live as the women you've created them to be. And, and yet, we thank you for your forgiveness. And yet, we look to you to restore that in us. Lord, help us to be the men and women you've created us to be. Help us to live that out in creation. Help us to to be fruitful and multiply the way you've called us to and give us guidance how to rule and, and subdue and have dominion over the earth the way you've called us to. Ultimately, Lord, help us bear your image in everything we do. May people see us and immediately see you for who you are and your glory and your might and your power. And all God's people said, amen.